Yo, 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 what is good, everybody? Welcome back to Mount Draftmore. We're the core four minus one today. We're doing a little triple trouble today. Triple trouble. I am Ben Jammin and I am joined by Matt. What's up? And Dustin. Hey. Like we said, there's three, and today we'll be drafting Seattle sports legends. We're bringing it home, baby. Mm-hmm. A little hometown heroes. Little hometown heroes. <laughs> Those big names that people in Seattle know and maybe people around the nation might know because they are that big, hopefully. You might own a jersey. Who knows? Yeah. From, mm-hmm. yeah. Long careers, treasured pass, Hall of Fames, all the things. It's going to be a good draft. Today's order, Dustin will be going first. Hell yeah. Matt's got second pick. Yes, sir. And I have the wraparound. Yep. No big D today. But we see you, big D. You're out there doing your thing. Did he give himself that name? He did give himself okay. that name, yeah. <laughs> None of us would call him that. <laughs> yep, but he's got a big laugh. Yeah, he, he does. does. Yep. That's why you got to set your own nickname. You got to get ahead of the crowd. Because here we are, Big D. He came in so confident with it. you know. <laughs> and you were like, I should have been Big D. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like five times bigger than <laughs> Big D is literally the smallest guy in the core <laughs> four. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Let's get into the draft. Round one. Dustin, first pick, Seattle sports legends. All right. Well, I'm going with Ken Griffey Jr. Had to be the first pick. Yeah. This one goes out to my sister who did play softball and uh, was that perfect age. Idolized Ken Griffey Jr. Would always imagine that she was him on the plate. Ninth inning, team on his back. But this guy, I mean, we, we even mentioned in the video game, uh, the NES, SNES. Like, what a legend. I mean, making deals, played 22 years in Major League Baseball, most of his career with Seattle Mariners and Cincinnati Reds, I guess. Yeah, Cincinnati, you know. It's like a, it's like 60-40, 65-35 split, if you want to break it up. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, baseball Hall of Famer with thirteen all uh, all thirteen time All Stars. That was hard to say. Prolific home run hitter, six hundred and thirty home runs, rank as the seventh most in MLB history. Also exceptional defender, got it all around. Offense, defense, won ten Gold Glove awards in center field. Boom, tied for the record of most consecutive games with a home run, and. Thinking about just how big he was in this city, this town now seems like it is a always been a Seahawk town, right? It always just feels like this is a football place, but it was a Mariner town for all those good years. Like when we were young, because Matt and I are in the 94 club, man, I definitely remember being in elementary school, just legendary. Well, Mariners, it, it, Mariners. it's kind of interesting because like I feel like Seattle goes through different waves of their fascination over different sports. The Mariners definitely dominated all of the 90s and then a couple of years since the early 2000s. And then they almost handed over the Seahawks. And it's been Seahawks mm-hmm. ever since. Yeah, and maybe when the Mariners come back, like if they have a really good team again, I could see this town really support oh, without doubt. its teams. You're going to see people come out from the woodwork that you didn't even know existed oh, once yeah. the Mariners are good. Which is really interesting, too, because love Seattle sports in that fashion. Like, there's not as much competition necessarily where, like, I was listening to this pod And they were talking about, like, other markets. They might have to compete a little bit more of, like, it seems like the Seattle sport fan is like, hey, we love it all. Like, yeah, I like hockey a little bit more. Matt maybe likes baseball a little bit more. You might preference one over the other, but 
It's all Seattle love if you're a Seattle sports fan. And one other fact that I wanted to drop in here is that when Griffey did make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2016, he got 99.32% of the vote, which at the time broke pitcher Tom Seaver's record of 98.84%. Yeah, there's only like three people who didn't vote for him. Who are you? Fuck right. you. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> Racist. They're you're, just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> fucking Griffey Jr. They're he like, didn't even win a championship. Well, baseball is dumb because like, also, the the whole reason why he didn't get three votes is because there's like a precedent set. Like Babe Ruth didn't get all the votes, so therefore <laughs> nobody can get all the votes. It's stupid. That is dumb. Yeah. yeah. So someone there was like towards the end maybe and was like, wait, or wait, do they just like submit it secretly or something? Oh yeah, like they have like ballots. They've got they got ballots, and unless they like make them public, nobody's ever mm. gonna know. So we don't know who did not <laughs> vote for him. But there's three You're like lucky. probably stupid white dudes out there somewhere. You're, you're the worst. <laughs> but see, there's a reason why the Baseball Hall of Fame is like the only legitimate one. It's the hardest one. The hardest <laughs> yeah. one to get in. Like there are years where they don't induct anybody. Nope. Yeah. They don't give a fuck. Nope. Yeah. History won't remember you. Nope. Ken Griffey and please Mariners, as much as I love that one highlight that you always show, that 95 game, if I'm not mistaken, we'd like some more highlights. So come on, Mariners. <laughs> yeah, front office, get to work. Yeah, there we go. Matt's even got it on his phone. That is one of the dopest cases I've seen in a long time. Yes. Explain to people the back of your phone because they so, can't see shit. Yeah, obviously bad radio. But the back of the phone is the double from game five, 1995, the bottom of the 11th inning, Mariners versus the Yankees. And it gives it's like a breakdown of like the play. So you see Edgar Martinez at bat, hits the double down the left field line, and you can see Griffey rounding the bases. So It's so dope, and yeah. I like how it tells you the runs and, and hits throughout the game. Because yeah, it's like, holy it shit, Seattle was crushing them with the hits 15, 15 to 6. Mm-hmm. It still went to extra innings. Bottom Damn. of the 11th, all that good stuff. So Awesome. Ken Griffey Jr., first pick. Woo-woo. Sports legend. Matt, your second. Go for it. Well, relating to the phone case, I'm going to choose another Mariners legend. But this one's for the common man. All right. Common This, this one... The reason why I'm going to pick who I'm going to pick is because he is such a fan favorite because... He did not have the immense talent that Griffey had. He had to grind for everything, and he stuck true time in, time out. I'm going to go with Edgar Martinez. Ooh, yeah. Because he is the uh, he literally saved baseball in Seattle. So for those who don't know the story, essentially the Mariners, you know, ex- they come about in 1977. By the time 95 rolls around, the kingdom's crumbling, literally. Like ceiling tiles are falling onto the field there's a big demand for a new stadium, but nobody wants to approve it. This is pre like owners funding their own stadiums. All stadiums are like publicly funded. And the mayor's ownership is like, we need to get the stadium built. Otherwise we're leaving. We're going to move to Tampa, Florida, right? Because the mayors are so bad. They never made the playoffs 19 years, never made the playoffs, terrible franchise. And it comes down to this 95 team. All right. Because they somehow, some way, shape and form come out of nowhere to, to get in a situation where they could even sniff the playoffs, you get a ton of fan support who eventually convince the public uh, officials in Washington State to approve a new stadium, which is now T-Mobile Park. But that doesn't happen without what's going on in that 95 season. And Edgar Martinez, the double, is the most iconic Seattle sports moment. Hands down. That is the most iconic Seattle sports moment. All right, 1995. You all know the call. All right, junior rounding third. He's going to wave him in, throw the plate late. 
all that good stuff. Dave Niehaus, Edgar Martinez, he plays from 1989 to 2004, all with the Mariners. That is incredibly rare to play. I mean, you're talking about over 15 years with one franchise. That's incredible. And he was not the most talented. He didn't even make the major leagues until he's 27. That's incredibly wow. old. In, in sports age, that's old. Yeah, that's very that's old. That's very old. Right? And he was actually had a, a chronic condition where he had um, a an eye uh, disorder where he had to constantly train his eyes to keep track of fastballs. He's a Hall of Famer. His numbers retired. And last I checked, he is the only athlete in Seattle sports history who has a street named after him. Edgar Martinez Drive. Hmm. Griffey doesn't. Griffey has a statue. He doesn't have a street named after him, though. Wow. Right. So I'm going to choose Edgar Martinez. He saved baseball in Seattle. Poppy, everybody loves him because he stayed time in and time again. He's a member of the community. Just overall legend. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. So Edgar Martinez, we salute you. <laughs> Some guy was all like designing the street. What one's going to be named after Griffey? And then he went to Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> nah, we only want him. So Hometown, also right? also Hall of Famer, <laughs> number retired, all the accolades you could possibly ever want. He has an award named after him. So every year there's the designated hitter of the year. That's the Edgar Martinez Award. So there you go. Man, nice. Good pick. My favorite player too. Hell yeah. That's dope. Would you rather have a street or a statue? I'd rather have both. No, you only <laughs> get one. You can only have one. I'll go with the street. I don't know. I think I'm going to go statue just because people are mad on traffic and they got some like Siri messing up your name or something like turn on Eager Martinez or like Siri doing some. It is mildly hilarious. Siri calls it East Martinez because it's just abbreviated. <laughs> oh, geez. Every time I'm driving, I think Portland has one. When I was in Austin, it had one. It was like Cesar Chavez. Every time Siri tries to said that. Oh, my gosh. I can't even mimic it. Like when I mimicked it, it sounded stupid, but. People are angry in traffic. They're turning. You got Siri mispronouncing your name. Give me that statue. Then again, you got pigeons pooping on you. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> also, the the Griffey statue is it's only a couple years old now, but you know some like dumbass like cut the bat off of it like within a couple months of it being out there. They eventually got it back, but like come on, come on, don't Seriously. deface his statue. What do you got? Nothing to do. That's like, disrespect. What geez. you doing? Crazy. Read a book. You got nothing to do? Learn something. Right. <laughs> Bums. All right. Well, it is my pick. So many legends. And I'm going to end up going heavy on this, but third pick, Sue Bird. Nice. I was, I was hoping to sneak sneak Sue Bird. She's not a sneaky because if I was the first like first pick, Ken Griffey, but second pick, Sue Bird. She's the most prolific athlete in Seattle's history. Four-time WNBA champion in three decades. Like, that's crazy. 11-time All-Star, five-time first team, three-time second team. She is three-time assist leader. Um, she's one of the, She's ranked in the top 15 players of all time, and she was ranked that like pretty early on in 2011, and she's held like her own in there. Um, she's also played overseas. And uh, like one thing that basketball has going for it that other sports don't, I mean, Griffey had the opportunity, but he didn't take it, uh, is basketball gets to play in the Olympics too. Mm -hmm. And she's made the Olympic team the last four times. That's a hell of a long time. Dude, four Olympic mm -hmm. gold medals in basketball and like Olympic gold medals, four of them. And then she's played on four or five um, world championship teams and has all gold there too. She's a stud. 
She's, she wanted that winning record for any sport, any athlete, any time would be like, look at those numbers. That's stacked. She's like, definitely dude. like in the conversation for goat of women's basketball. Oh, definitely. She she's she already is the best point guard mm-hmm. in women's basketball. Like and she definitely like top three, top five of all women's players ever. Yeah, yeah. She's a beast. Like averages nineteen points a game. Handles like crazy. Six assists, like three steals. She is a freak. She could probably cross up Kyrie. Oh man, easy. Her te- like the thing about women's basketball is they have to be so like they're so much more technical. Oh yeah, ball you handling w- seals off the rails. Yeah, like the fundamentals in women's basketball. Chef's kiss. That's how the game should be played, honestly. It is. Yeah. They don't get to rely on these huge athletic feats. No, oh. they are just hella smart. Skill. Yeah. So, super respect. Been here her whole career. Never played anywhere else. Again, like Griffey left. Mm-hmm. Edgar Martinez. Do people leave in baseball? Did Martinez ever leave? Nope. Nope. Stayed. Okay. There we go. Mm-hmm. Like sticking. She in is Seattle. Seattle royalty, without a doubt. Like her. I love like seeing her and Megan Rapino. It's like the first couple of Seattle. It's great. Yeah, it's love like a, it. One's dominating soccer. Oh the yeah, other one's dominating basketball. And basketball is like I would rather be a champion in a in a basketball league than in a football league. Because in a football league, you're so dependent on everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. You have eleven men on offense, eleven men on defense, mm-hmm. and then however many aren't like dual players uh, on the kicking team. Man, that is like a huge effort. And mm-hmm. if you're part of that, cool. But in basketball, if you win a championship and you're part of the starting five. Uh, yo, you're, you had a huge part. If she, the point guard, mm-hmm. she's the one who's reading everything. She sets mm-hmm. everything up. Freak. Legend. Legend. Sue Bird, third pick. So we got Griffey, we got Martinez, we got Sue Bird. It's a good first round. That's the end of the first round. some cosmic facts for you seattle we y'all already talked about how seattle's just this huge sports town without a doubt but man we got we got records because we're such a sports town like two in particular that i'm gonna that i'm gonna drop on you some little facts so the first record we got was established in 2012 by the sounders right who were at that time they set the record for five straight years of having the highest attendance at 44,000 fans. That's freaking crazy. Five straight years. And they've actually kept that number from 2012 all the way up to now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Like I believe it. I, <laughs> those fans are diehard fans. They love that team. Yeah. So they, they held the record um, until 2017. Um, and then Atlanta got it because they have a bigger stadium. And they're they're I think they're a relatively new franchise too. Yeah. So when those when the franchises pop up mm-hmm. exactly. But like just for comparison, the LA Galaxy, who was like the crown jewel in America's major league yeah. soccer, man, their attendance average is twenty one thousand. Half. Not even yeah. half. <laughs> so suck it, LA. There's one flex on you. Second second mad flex. Seahawks. Ooh, we talking some decibels here? We're talking decibels, baby. Nice. We broke the record in De- on December 2nd of 2013 during Monday Night Football mm-hmm. against the Saints in a straight blowout, 34 to ass. 7. Yo, the ears, like 137.6 decibels. 
set the world record. And you're like, well, that's just some, that's just some arbitrary number, right? Nah, pain in your ears, the pain index in your ears is 125 decibels. <laughs> it's just louder than a plane, bro. I love like, because you'd see this all the time. Not so in like the last couple of years, because I think, I think the 12 since 12 have petered off a little bit because they're dissatisfied. But my favorite thing was like, you'd see it on a national broadcast, especially Monday night football or Sunday night football. You'd have the sideline reporter. And the mic would be like, like a couple feet away from her. And she'd be like, can you hear me? And there was like, whoa, it's so loud there. Like, yeah, it is. And they don't pump in. Uh-uh, they that's don't pump oh, natural. All natural. <laughs> Just crazy ass fans. Hand up. I'm one of those. You were talking about flexing. I do have to do a personal flex really quick. I was at, I was at that game. Hell yeah. What? Yeah, dude. It was fucking crazy. Because the thing you're talking about, pain in your ears. Yeah. I don't even remember pain in my ears because it was a static. Like, you were like, all the happiness chemicals in my brain were just flooded. Like, it was just like pure heaven. We were in that game. Because you remember the Seahawks record at that time? Matt, do you remember it? This is 2013. Yeah. So... That was real. Was that that was probably later in the season, or it yeah. might have been middle point in the season, December second, December second. So it's later in the season. So we were probably what like ten and one, ten and two, something like that. I think you're talking about Beastquake with the Marshawn Lynch run. No, he's talking about this is 2013. Oh, 2013 yeah. with the yeah. record. Oh, yeah. I was at the Beastquake run. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm jealous of that though. Yeah. That that's a hell of a moment. Because that one's I was like, we, we weren't a winning team then. We went in the playoffs yeah. with a losing record. You were like for that six one. and se- or it was seven and nine. Yeah, yeah. seven yeah. and nine. That's right. We were playing the Saints, the first seed, and my cousin took me to the game, and I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm at my first playoffs game. I mean, we're gonna lose, but I get to see Drew Brees, the Saints. It's pretty cool. That was great because that also registered for the seismic record for it, it was yeah, a mini that's, earthquake. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the third fact that I wasn't gonna drop. Oh, there you Earthquake, beastquake. <laughs> yep. Here I am. Crotch grab. Clearly not listening. My bad, Ben. Skittles. Man. <laughs> well, I was at some big Seattle Seahawks moment. No, it's dope. Yeah. Seattle sports. <laughs> Crazy fans. That's the end of Cosmic Facts. Round two. So now it's round two, and I just rushed through that, so now I have to pick. But like I said, mine's going to be kind of heavy. I was going to go another way, but I know this guy will get picked, and I'm like, oh, if someone else will... Hold on, let me process this. It's like if someone else picks this, then they're going to win because of the diversity in your teams. Like you don't want to have, I don't know if you want to have two from the same like team. Maybe. Maybe, Maybe I don't you can make an argument. I don't know. Yeah, you can, but I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going Gary Payton, so not glove, Seattle Storm, baby. but I'm going with the glove. Played for Seattle from 1990 to 2003. Took him to that championship against Jordan. Had an amazing game three. Oof. Dude, like if, if if Nate McMillan was healthy in that series, it might have been a little different. Yeah, definitely. He's a nine-time All-Star, two-team first NBA, defensive player of the year in '96 when he played for Seattle. Like that year that they went to the went to the playoff or went to the championship. Back when they played defense in the NBA. Yeah, dude, he was so good. <laughs> he was a freak. Like he was a dynamic duo with Kemp, but. Mm-hmm. But he was the star of the show. That's the original Lob City right there. Exactly. Original. Yeah, and something that Gary Payton has going for him. Again, this is almost like one of those weird, almost unfair advantages for basketball players. Um, But he has two Olympic gold medals, 96 Mm -hmm. and 2000. He had to be a part of the team after the Dream Team. Dream Team Part 2. And still killed it. And I just, like, that always, just thinking about the Olympic teams blows my mind because it's like, okay, 
you're an NBA player, you're great. But not every NBA not every NBA player is going to be on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you have to be the, the best, best of, of the best. best. Yep. It's like okay, ninety six. Yep. I mean, yeah. You look on that. Who's on that team? Is Stockton still on that team? You got Grant Hill. You got a young Shaq's on that team. Kudos to him. Yeah. Like that. That team's still stacked. Yeah. Yeah, Gary Payton, did the you, glove. Did you mention that in his freshman year of college, he got, I think, the Pac-10 uh, Defensive Player of the Year award? I didn't, and he was also freshman of the year in 87. It's pretty big for, you know, freshmen. One, he was, he was what, player of the year in 89, 88? One of those two years, I forget which one. Some years. He was, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, though. Yeah. yeah. I, I was watching this one series, like ESPN put together, that was specifically about all these other players during Jer- Jordan's era and specifically that got robbed from, uh, you know, trophies during the Bulls dynasty and all that kind of stuff. And we forget about, and they were talking about Gary Payton and they were talking about, Ben, you might know a little bit more on the stats on this, but they were talking specifically about that series against the Bulls. And they were saying that in the first three games, Gary Payton didn't guard Jordan as much. Exactly. But then when he started guarding Jordan, yeah. Jordan's points, per, like point percentage, shot percentage all went down Everything. because he, it was after... Maybe it was. Did the Bulls go three zero? I can't. Yeah, they did. They won okay. the first. Yeah. Three. So so then it was after that third one that Gary Payton's like, I'm guarding Jordan, mm-hmm. and then it was that game four at the Kingdom where they just killed it. Man, yep. I was gonna have shout out to Bill Murphy. I was I tried to get him on the podcast because he was at that game. Dang. And listening to him talk about that game, it's like holy shit. And he said wow. exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. About homeboy who was hurt, Nate McMillan. God, if he had been healthy, like they could have been a different series. And also, like the the really crappy part is like those '90s Sonics teams were so good, so good. But then they always like seem to like make just mental mistakes against lower opponents. Like it happens against the Nuggets in like '94. It happens against the Utah Jazz. Like they could have had some real opportunities there, especially when Jordan's yeah. out. Jordan retired. That was like that should have been their time. Yeah, And that's also kind of one of those like ridiculous things where I feel like within sports, you'll get the sports fans that respect those teams that were hella good but didn't win. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in the mainstream, they get so looked over because when you think the Bulls won six, and that's whole six years that there were hella good other teams in the other conference or people that made it there. And now people are all watching like the last dance, like people like me who aren't the biggest basketball fans are like, oh, I didn't know that other team was really good. It's like, give them some love. Like, I don't know. Like so. the Utah Jazz were crazy too, but oh, we're yeah. not talking about the Jazz. We're talking about but Gary what, oh, Another thing about Gary Payton, one of the best trash talkers in the history of any sport. Hands down. Yeah. Yep. Talk the most <laughs> shit ever. Another little random personal thing. My neighbor had his hot tub, which is hello random. Nice. Damn. He got nice. Gary Payton's hot tub. Yes. That might be dirty as hell. He probably did. Freak might. nasty. <laughs> Freak nasty. And that's what I sat in during when I was a kid. I had no clue. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. But yeah, his dad was in like event services and did all these like interesting jobs. And his dad was a really interesting person, but he met Gary Payton and then knew him for like a little while. And Gary Payton gave him the hot tub. At least that's the way my, I think I remember the story. He definitely met Gary Payton and he got his hot tub. Because I remember that. That's sick. Nice. He went to Oregon State University. Yeah, talked about the beefs. Like he's in their <laughs> Hall of Fame. So he's he's been Pacific Northwest forever. For men for mm-hmm. a quick men. Yep. Gary Payton, second pick. Booyah. Matt. Nice. Europe. 
All right, with my second pick, there's a couple different directions I can go with this, but I'm going to choose this athlete now because I'm worried that he will not last much longer. I'm going with a little Mr. Beast mode, Marshawn Lynch. Beast (laughs) mode. Nice. So Marshawn Lynch, for those of you who do not know, is the quintessential, like, a larger-than-life character because not of, like, him doing too much, but because he was kind of mysterious. He was like a cult-like figure. Like, he embodied kind of the whole thing. I'm going to talk about this during halftime, about, like, how the Northwest is kind of like this shielded away mysterious land that, like, people are like, where is that? I don't know. Where is that? And then you got Beast Mode, who also is like, he has funny quotes, like, I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't (laughs) get fined. I'm just about that action, boss. Mm -hmm. Right? This guy... I just recently saw a video of like Peyton Manning interviewing him, asking like, "Hey man, what's like? What was your like your pregame tradition when you're in Seattle? Like, what would you do?" He's like, "Oh, you know, I you know I would usually like take a shot or two before I go down the field. Like, like a shot of Gatorade." He's like, "No, Hennessy." <laughs> this guy was larger than life. Mister Skittles himself, Beast Mode, sets off a literal earthquake in Seattle in 2010 in the playoffs mm-hmm. on a team that had no business being there just because the NFC West was terrible. But when you think of Seattle and you think of Seahawk football, what comes to mind? You think of beast mode, right? Beast mode. And arguably, I don't know if he'll get into the Hall of Fame. He should. He actually has pretty damn good stats when you compare him to like other Hall of Fame running backs. NFL Hall of Fame is kind of a funky little thing. But nevertheless, he deserves to have his number retired in Seattle because he's such a larger-than-life figure. He's a cult-like personality, and he embodied what that team was about. You think about... The successful Seahawk teams, you think about the LOB and you think about Beast Mode. That was Seahawk football. All right. He would punch you in the mouth and he'd be doing it with some swag. He had the gold cleats, he had skills on his cleats. He'd be grabbing his crotch, dancing in the end zone. Beast Quake, one and two. Everything. Marshawn Lynch. I love that guy. My one of my favorite Seahawks of all time, hands down. That's gonna be a, that's a jersey you could wear out in Seattle and people be like, respect. I see you. That's a dope jersey. Mm-hmm. Hands down. I wear my Marshawn Lynch jersey. Hell yeah. It's a Bills jersey. Hey, but respect. But I still wear it. Yeah. (laughs) I wore it through the Super Bowl parade after they won. Because he's a badass. Yeah. Super Bowl parade. He's up there on a a duck, a gooey duck, smoking a cigar, taking shots of fireball, throwing Skittles at people's faces. No, he was on a, um, like one of the, like, it was like the duck tour, not a gooey duck. A gooey duck is like an actual, like, sea creature thing. Well, don't they? They call the the, the duck boats. They call uh, them gooey ducks. No, not not gooey ducks. No, no. I don't think so. It's not Maybe I'm duck. inventing that. But yeah, well, no, the gooey duck yeah. is a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Yeah, we've had gooey duck chatter before, but uh, but yeah, he was on the duck yeah. boats. Yeah, he there was. Go. Yeah, yeah. Marshawn Lynch. If you talked about, it's funny because now you have them both on your team, so this bodes well. Talked about. There's no other uh, more iconic highlight in Seattle sports history, and I would say when you said that, I was like, oh, Beastquake is up there. Mm-hmm. Definitely for how big of a Seahawk town it is now. And that run is so interesting because, you know, sometimes sports just takes on like a, a narrative that seems like it was made up in a writer's room because Marshawn Lynch was on the team. And at first there was some hype. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't horrible or anything, but it was like, you know, obviously for a seven and nine team, he wasn't really taken off yet. It was his first year in Seattle. Was like, he yeah. came over in October. Yeah. Getting okay. his feet wet. And then that run happened. And then it was like, after that was like this resurgence of the Seahawks because it's also like after, you know, they went to the Super Bowl in 05 and then Sean Alexander's having his decline. And so it's like, obviously Matt Hasselbeck's going to leave. So it was kind of like that perfect story of like the decline ready to resurge and like become the team again. 
Like, I don't know. I just love the way he described that run, too. He's like, you know, just a little baby stiff arm. You know, just a little little get off me. Little the, planet, the planet Earth uh, little remix. <laughs> they put that over the lizard running away from all the snakes. Yeah, it's beautiful. Good. Beautiful, beautiful, Legend. beautiful. Marshawn Lynch, second round. Good pick. Dustin. Okay. There are so many routes that I can take. So many. There's so many. And part of me, like. So many. But you get two. I know. Yeah. These are your most important picks. No I pressure. Know. Well, now don't get in my head. No, I'm just re- no, I'm reminding yeah. you because I think people who are listening, they sleep on like, oh, first round, like that's good. Yes, you mm-hmm. if there's a guaranteed first, you get to take it. But then your second and third pick, luckily for us, there's only three. So no matter what, your last pick is still gonna be heat. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many good players that that's why it's almost harder because I'm like I don't want to get flack randomly for being like passing on someone because someone's going to get passed up on. Yeah. There's only going to be 12 taken. Feelings are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to be like, how did that player not make it? Yeah. And the fact that I didn't have any food today until dinner and I'm like a couple beers in, I'm like, let's go for this route. Like, I don't think. Full send. <laughs> Do it. Full send. I Do don't know shit. if someone's going to take this player right away, but arguably, if you're going to look up any list of like the top Seattle Seahawks, this name's going to come up, and I love that it comes up because he's in a position that usually does not get a lot of love from the fans, but it gets a lot of love from the GMs because it's one of the most important positions mm, in I know who you're picking. the game. Walter Jones, yep. offensive tackle. Yep. Okay, so the offensive tackle is one of the most important. You think about that line. Everyone's going to focus on the running back. Everyone's going to focus on the quarterback. If that line is shit, quarterback gets sacked. If that line is shit, running back's... Mm, they go down. When Walter Jones started having, like, towards the end of his career, I think he left or he got injured. I was I think like, he, like, tore his ACL. He tore his ACL. Yeah. That was actually really closely aligned to when Sean Alexander started having his decline, which is another player that gets flack, which I don't think he should get as much flack as he should. He but, was the rushing leader. It was yes. like Ladanian Thompson was he killing won the, MVP, the league, yeah. and then he won the MVP and set the record. Mm-hmm. And then that next year, he was hurt. Well, also, in, yeah. like, Steve Hutchinson left. And that all because Hutchinson left in 06, he got paid by the Vikings, and that also contributed because that line would just wasn't quite the same. Mm-hmm. So, thinking about that, like this happens all over the league with a bunch of running backs, these lines help them into where they became. They had the skills, but the line had to be there. And Jones ultimately enters into the discussion as one of the greatest players to ever be in the NFL. So, let me read you some of these sacks or some of these stats. One of them has the lack of sacks. sacks. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. So during the time when he was with the Seahawks, the Seahawks attempted over 5,500 passes, and Big Walt gave up only 23 quarterback sacks protecting the blind side. Man, you can do a lot with that. Uh, I believe he made the Pro Bowls in 9 out of 10 seasons that he was there, including 2005, when, hey, you know, for people who are not from Seattle, you might think Seahawks have this great winning history. They have a lot of fan, you know, fantastic players. But at that point, that was their very first Super Bowl appearance. Like, if you're talking mm-hmm. about the importance to the town, that was such a huge team. Like, it was the first time that we had ever really made it that far. And, man, the excitement was yeah, just the, the real ones. The real ones are Seahawks fans prior to 2012. <laughs> yes, exactly. When you were struggling through some of the, you know, terrible Jim games. Mora. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, let me read a couple of these other ones. His number is retired, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Man, where am I at? Oh, yeah, he started all 180 games he played in over the next 12 seasons when he first started, which definitely is pretty big, especially those linemen. They get fallen on a lot. Like, those random, you know, you know those are big looks, boys. Dude, they're dealing with car crash-level impacts every play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time, and it's, it's wild. Also, you're, like, you're moving backwards. To have that level of agility and skill at, like, 300-plus pounds, and you're moving in an unnatural direction facing somebody who's either equally or slightly smaller than you, mm-hmm. right? That's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, so here's one other fact. Like, see, the other stats for some of these more offensive players, you're going to be able to list like this, 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 this. Some of these stats are just wild when you really think about that position. So here's one on penalties that I think is pretty incredible. So he was flagged for a holding penalty, something that would happen to offensive players a lot when they got a defensive player, bull rushing them, swinging their arm, doing that swim move. You know, they got really talented people in the NFL. He was flagged for holding nine times. In over a dozen years. 180 games. What the hell? To put that into perspective, Seattle right ta- uh, tackle, uh, Jermaine Afedi. Am I saying that one Afedi. right? Afedi. Yeah. Uh, was called for 14 holding pedal penalties during the 2017-2018. In one season. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So Walter Jones, you know. He's got the discipline. Yep. He does not rack a discipline. He was an, <laughs> an artiste. An artiste. Heck yes. Dancing bear, as they would call him. Yeah. I, it was one of those players I feel like I could have gone later. But, you know, I feel like. I mean, that's deserve, a solid pick, yeah. You deserve to be this that's high. A, it's a good one because, again, it's it's like you can't have the game of football without, like, legends on the line, you know, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah, and if you get that many accolades as an offensive lineman and people know your name, like, across the city, I mean, especially love you. one of the things you would always see, too, is, like, you'd be watching either Sunday night football or Monday night football, and that's what, like, because there's not much else to really talk about during the Seahawks uh, Seahawk teams of, like, the 2000s. You'd be, all the announcers would be like, Walter Jones, legend. Mm-hmm. I, you'd hear that constantly on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mad respect in the NFL, mm-hmm. or in the football circle. You know, other players. Yeah. Very cool. There we go, the end of the second round. I like it. Walter Jones, baby. Nice. Those are good teams. It is time to celebrate halftime. And you know whose time it is? Ooh. Ooh. Give me the facts. That's right. It's Matt's time. Matt's got the facts. I do got some facts. And I, uh, I'm i going to approach halftime for this one in a little bit of a different context. I'm actually going to take a page out of Dylan's book here. And I'm actually going to talk about the narrative surrounding C- Seattle sports from a national perspective and how that is so beyond unfoundedly, like, it just doesn't make sense why we get crapped on so much. So generally speaking, and you guys all know this, whenever you have like a national radio show, TV show, maybe there's a game in Seattle that a national crew is doing, something along those lines. It's the the commentary is always like, wow, these 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 Seattle teams, they're so crazy. Why doesn't anybody ever talk about them? What's going on? Seattle's all the way out in the Pacific Northwest. There's nothing out there, right? Mm-hmm. It's out and it could be in in effing Antarctica for all they know. They have no clue where the Pacific Northwest is, and especially Seattle. It's like on its own little mysterious island that gets zero attention. And whenever something good happens, it's like, wow, where did this come from, right? Well, to put that in perspective, Seattle is the 13th largest TV market in the United States. 
You want to take a guess about what markets it's actually bigger than? If it's 13, it's bigger than a lot. It's bigger than Detroit, Las Vegas, Denver, Cleveland, and New Orleans. New Orleans? That that one's really surprising. It's bigger than all of those. Damn. And yet, we're still this mysterious little island of mystery Mm -hmm. out in the woods, out in the Pacific Northwest, and our teams, no matter how good or how bad they are, get zero play. Like the Mariners right now, Shout out Mariners. All right, they've been doing incredibly well for their first little bit of the season. Zero mentions on any like national media, ESPN, you name it. Nobody's talking about it. All right, the Seahawks, the model of consistency in the NFL for what, the last decade? They're in the playoffs almost every single year. They don't have losing seasons. And yet when you talk about the NFL, it's automatically the Patriot way, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about what's going on with some of the bad teams. It's, people talk more about how bad the Cleveland Browns are rather than how good the Seahawks have been for over a decade, right? When you think about West Coast teams, you're automatically like, oh, what are the 49ers doing? 49ers have been trash, <laughs> all right? Yes, they've been in two Super Bowls in the last t- decade. Guess what? They lost both of them. We've been in two Super Bowls as well. We won one of them. But yet Seattle gets absolute zero respect, zero notoriety, zero attention, and it just doesn't make sense for a top 15 market in the United States. All right, the Seahawks have some of the best attendance in the NFL for ever, ever since their existence, some of the best fans. The Mariners, even though they're bad, you, we still talk about uh, common culture. We still talk about bad teams. Cleveland Browns, for example, it's, it's a great comparison. People love to like absolutely crap on the Cleveland Browns about how bad they've been. The Mariners have been worse, and yet nobody talks about that. I mean, we have great teams yeah. that no one talks about. ML, yeah. like... The Sounders are always good. They've won two MLS Cups in the last four years. Yeah, and they are a new team. Yeah. Like, relative, like they started, I feel like, when I moved here. When did they start? 2009. Okay. Yeah, right when I moved here. Yeah. I and mean... The, and the Storm are great, too. Yeah, the Storm, perpetually winning. It's mm. kind of, like, related, but slightly unrelated. It's like when they draw the regions. It's clearly drawn by someone in the East Coast. They'll be, like, super detailed. Well, this is not really just all the Northeast. This is, like, the upper... Like Mid East, like Pennsylvania will be separated from like New York, and then you know there'll just be all this variation. That's the Upper South, and then the West is like West of the Mississippi. You got the Rockies, that's eh, all the same. Southwest, that's eh, all. The, it's just the West. It's like there you go. It, it's like once there. it's once you get out here, it's basically like anybody who's from the East Coast or Midwest. It's like oh Los Angeles, and that's it. Yeah, it's like no, there's plenty of, that goes on up in the Northwest, and it's not like we're a tiny town anymore. We've got eleven Fortune five hundred companies. In Washington State alone, mm. right? it's not like this little obscure little forestry hideaway, right? You, well, you all know that I'm super passionate about hockey, and I've been talking nonstop cracking a little bit on the podcast, but a lot off the podcast. They're probably tired of me talking about it. But when Vegas got the team, I was bitter as all get out. I was salty. I'm still salty this day. Someone on my adult hockey league team was like, "We should change our colors." Like, oh yeah, he's like, "We should go to the Golden Knights." It's like. I, I cursed really loud. <laughs> I think it kind of shocked him, but I was pissed because Seattle's a better market. It clearly has dominated Vegas in all like consumer sport fan, the amount, uh, how fast they sold out their uh, preseason ticket deposits before they even had a team to show the league that they were interested. Took Vegas. It was like a couple weeks to get to 10,000 uh, season ticket deposits. Took Seattle an hour. Yeah. And we got to thirty two thousand at the end of the first day, and they had to shut it off. Like, and and if you if you ask, what's the whole purpose of sports media to talk about sports? 
we've had the expansion news for like a year to two years now. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about a brand new team. I just, it, it boggles the mind how little attention Seattle gets, even though we're a major metropolitan market with some of the best fans across all sports and some incredibly successful franchises as well. So that's my little like kind of rant, but also just understanding it just doesn't make sense if you actually look at statistics alone, even for how bad some teams are, like the Mariners. It's all about the Mets are terrible. This is a shout out to the baseball <laughs> draft. How about the Mets? Well, the, the Mets are never going to win again. You look on Twitter, it's all Mets fans like, we're never going to win. I'm like, you're not even the worst franchise. I don't understand why. But yeah, that's that's my little Matt facts for you. It's more Matt rants, but whatever. <laughs> Matt rants, halftime. Well, before we get into the third round, quick recap. Dustin's got Ken Griffey Jr. and Walter Jones. Matt has Edgar Martinez and Marshawn Lynch. And your boys got Sue Bird and Gary Payton. Let's get into this third round, babies. Round three. Dustin. All righty. So the next player I'm going to take also might be slightly different because there's another player that's out there that I think everyone's expecting me to pick. And, hey, you never know what's going to happen. The votes get weird. Maybe this is the wrong choice. But I feel really passionate about this, and I know I can talk to it a lot. And I'm thinking, should you go diversity? Should you have every sport represented? We only got four slots. I feel like every one of us is going to be doubled up on at least one sport. So I'm going to double up on one sport here because of this player's dominance in the era at which they played. And that is actually Steve Largent because at the end of Steve Largent's career, when he retired in 1989, he possessed every major receiving record in league history, including receiving yards at that time, 13,089 touchdowns, 100. The game has changed immensely. His records have been passed, but it's just like when we talk about Sean Alexander, like he doesn't get love and it's like, he was the player of the year. Like he had that rushing touchdown record. Like, yeah, I got passed up by LaDainian Thomas in the next year, but it's a fucking hard record to get to. Here, this is Seattle's very first player to ever get into the Pro Bowl, and that was in 1978. And you think about it, here's a couple other facts that shows you how long his reign was. So he went in, he led the NFL in receiving yards in 1979 and then later in 1985. So he was on top for a very long time. Um, I don't know, just another legend. I'm just thinking about the dominance in that era. I'm trying to think about other Seahawk players because I'm a really big football fan. Dude, I think- in, in 19, I'll give you a little assist here. In 1999, when they did, when uh, Sports Illustrated did the 100 greatest NFL mm-hmm. athletes of all time, he was like 46 on the list and he was the only Seahawk to make mm-hmm. the list. Yep. And one more thing that Pete, like just contextually because of when he played, it took the GOAT of all time. It took Jerry Rice to beat his records. And this is also yeah. in an era where, like, def- like defensive backs could literally, like, kick your ass. <laughs> Dude, they could hit you before you caught the ball, yeah. like, yeah. in midair. Like, mm-hmm. going over the middle as a slot receiver, and Steve Largent's not a big guy. No. He's he's basically, like, average height. I think he's, like, what, like, 5'10", 5'9", something like that. Mm-hmm. He's not a very big guy. He would get literally like murdered because that's his old school NFL. So to do that, take those hits and still catch as many receptions as he had, incredible. Yeah. I mean, also, no offense, old quarterbacks, but yeah, when you're talking about the old game, like when it used to be played, sure, there are some accurate passers, but I just feel like a lot of skilled positions have really honed their craft. 
And just thinking about some of those like passes, some of those catches, I don't know. It was just a different game. So to put up those kind of numbers back then. Well, and, and also knowing that he's he was like a technician when it comes to running routes. And speaking of like quarterback play, it's not like he had like, you know, Joe Montana back there. Mm-hmm. He's got Jim Zorn. Yep. He had Dave Craig. And he had a whole bunch of other dudes who are really terrible, like Dan McGuire. Like the Seahawks. People are like, who the, the hell is that? Exactly. Yeah. To put this yeah. in perspective, <laughs> Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in Seahawks history because there's nobody else. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> there Suck you go. It, Russell. I mean, he's kind of pissing me off lately, but yeah. Pissing yeah. everyone in Seattle yeah. off. You know, Russell's also been one of those players, too, where, sorry if someone was going to pick him, he's got that thing going for him where he's on winning teams and, like, the wins under his belt. Oh, his supporting cast has been... Yeah. The, he's The Seahawks have been winning for a decade for a reason. It's not just because of him. It's yeah, never been exactly. because of him. Yeah, exactly. Like, when they were winning Super Bowl... When they won the Super Bowl, it was the defense. And Marshawn. Mm-hmm. And Marshawn. Well... Yeah. The first Super Bowl, Marshawn only had like 40-something rushing yards. In the second one, he had over 100 rushing yards. There's a reason why people say, oh, they should have given it to him because he was destroying the Patriots' oh, yeah. war on defense. Yeah. Also, that first Super Bowl was just domination where you could tell it was the whole supporting cast. And I do want to say that we all talk about superstars, so you know I'm not trying to hate on those quarterbacks that do their role. Like There's role positions, but if right. we're talking about the all-time greatest and you're thinking about Seahawks, it's kind of like sports are kind of like a what have you done for me lately. So, of course, the more recent players are going to come to mind first. Yeah. But when you really look at them in the era that they played, Russell Wilson is not like the all-time number one quarterback of his whole career. Like, no. I mean, there's I, always someone ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. Yeah. yeah. But back to Steve Largent. Yeah. He's a beast. Good yes. pick. Mm-hmm. His nickname was Yoda. <laughs> his nickname was Yoda because teammates were like, you catch anything that comes at you. Mm-hmm. You, you. Catch it, I shall. Yeah, catch it, I shall. <laughs> Good pick. Matt, you're up. All right. So, continuing along my draft, I'm going to go with another icon. Not necessarily because he was the main focus on the team, but more of because he is another one of those cultural legends. I'm going to go with the Rain Man, Sean yeah. Kemp. Sean Kemp. So, Sean Kemp, statistically, is not going to be up there when it comes to like the, even the greatest players of the 90s. All right, he just didn't score enough points. But man, when we I've talked about this before when it came to the Phoenix Sun Gorilla. We're talking about dunkers. Sean Kemp, hands down. Hands down. Him and Gary Payton. Lob Sonic City. Boom. Lob yes. City. No, right? Sonic, yeah. Their Lob City was Sonic Boom. Uh-huh. <laughs> you cannot think about those 90s teams without without Gary taking the ball up court or on a fast break. And then Sean streaking down the, the, the side of the court. And then the ball just goes up, and then he just throws it down in somebody's face. All right, you all know the posterize where I think he dunks over one of the guys on the Warriors, and then he like points at him. He's like, "Ha! I just dunked in your face." <laughs> so Sean Kemp, the Rain Man. All right, he plays from uh, eighty nine to ninety seven. That is essentially the highlight of his career. It was all of his Sonics years. He does go on to like the Cavaliers and a really terrible trade, the Sonics trade and wave, just because after that ninety six team, they all kind of like. They crumbled it. They, I mean, George Carl left, and the whole team kind of just fell apart, which is a shame because they were on top of the world when it came to a non-Bulls team in the NBA for a hot minute there. Uh, he's remained in Seattle ever since. That, that's that's a really cool thing to know that, like, a guy that played a long time ago now, and he only played for about, what was that, about like eight years, eight, nine years or so. He got traded away, and yet 
He still lives here. His son went to UW, Sean Kemp Jr. And now he's opened up a bunch of uh, dispensaries around Seattle, although he did miss the mark. He should have gone with, uh, it's just called like Sean Kemp's Cannabis. It should have gone with like The Strain Man or Supersonic Chronic. There, There's a whole lot of names <laughs> he should have gone with. Nevertheless, it's cool that he did open up a cannabis store. Um, <laughs> but in any case, Sean Kemp, The Rain Man, one of the best dunkers of all time. Boom. I, I, that was the player that I passed up, and I was like, I don't know who's going to lose me. It, it's so hard. There's so many good players, but it was like, I'm glad he got picked. Like, I was thinking he's going to go early. One of the best athletes in the, in the NBA history, without a doubt. Shaboom. Sonic boom. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. And my last pick for the third round, or I guess my third pick, final pick of the third round, I'm going to take, I got women's basketball, men's basketball. I'm going to go into baseball. There's a lot of Mariners. A lot of Mariners. And I got to take him. Ichiro. Yeah, you got to go. You you, go. I, I got to take Ichiro. He He's the player that helped stabilize the Mariners after the Mariners lost like their three big stars. They mm-hmm. lost Ken Griffey Jr., they lost A-Rod, and then they lost Randy Johnson. And it's like, oh, man, after that, where do you go? Oh, let me tell another you. Another Hall of Famer. You go to another Hall of Famer. <laughs> Came in in 2001. Uh, he helped turn the team into one of the best teams in history. He was part of that 116-win team in 2001. And then three years later in 2004, he set the MLB record with 262 hits. Dude was crazy. He was a consistent hit freak, right? So he is a household name in Seattle, but he's also not just a household name in Seattle. He's a household name in Japan. He's a god in Japan. Like you, mm-hmm. The one thing... like. With Edgar Martinez, you see a, la- a lot of Latin American players in the MLB because the Americas are so baseball heavy. Mm-hmm. But you do not see a lot of Japanese baseball players in the MLB. He's one- No, and he's he's actually a bit of a, a groundbreaker trendsetter himself because there was a conception that Japanese players were not cut out for the major leagues. That for whatever reason, the Japanese game, even though it's the exact same sport, would not translate on over to the major leagues. And yet he came in and proved them all wrong because he had a rocket for an arm. He played incredible defense, a gold glover and a silver slugger at the same time. And the hit king. You could, he, he, this was the best part, especially in the early years when he had so much speed. He would take what would normally be an out. Say you hit a ground ball as a shortstop. Derek Jeter's taking his time over there. He's like, oh, yeah, it's just ground ball. I'm going to throw him out at first. Safe. Infield hit. He's the king of that. Dude. Changed the game. And his section of Mariner Stadium in the 11 years that he was there was the most consistent in terms of seats sold out. Area 51. Dude, he was a beast. I remember the first Mariner game I went to, I wanted to sit over there, and it was packed. Mm -hmm. And they were playing Detroit. And I was like, this is, like, what the fuck? Everywhere else, it's empty, and that is the one spot that is packed. The the only time I got to sit there was against the when they played the Yankees. And I got, and I had sat up top and was just waiting like watching seats that were empty, and I was like, "Okay, all right, we're we're getting into the fourth. All right, uh, those are still open." And then in the fifth, I was like, "I had my little brother, and I said, Yo, we're making a move. We're gonna go down to those seats because it was two right in the middle." We walked down there, and it was like eighty percent like Japanese Americans sitting in there. Oh, I was like, crazy. "All right, here we go." And it was Ichiro hat. Wait, oh, I don't have the hat up here. Ichiro hat night. So I was like, "Yeah, I have a hat that says yes. Ichiro on it. It's dope." Also, Anyways. just in terms of like legend status. Not too many players that go by one name. Bright baller. Not too many. You got to be a big baller to go by one name. Like you say Ichiro, you know who that is. 
Well, you remember everyone in uh, elementary when you'd go up to bat. Oh, yeah, doing the... Pull the sleeve. Yeah. Yep. Legendary. Incredible. That's my third pick, Ichiro. So uh, it's time for some, some trivia. <laughs> Dustin, you're leading it. What's good? All right. Well... It's Matt. It's you versus me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Seattle on sports guy versus not Seattle sports guy. <laughs> Let's do this. Ooh, well, I have to say, Matt, I don't know. I'm sorry to do this to you, but... All mine are Sonic questions. And I mean, I do know some Sonic. You do. Stuff. You were yeah. dropping some stats, so yeah. hey, maybe this I'm not is a good. Sonics fan. So, ooh, okay, yeah. even competition. You will be. Oh, you. Oh, when they yeah. come back, I will be <laughs> most definitely. Okay, so I'm gonna even give you options for this one. Okay. So, which Sonic set the franchise record with 58 points in a game? Was it Sean Kemp, Spencer Hughes, Freddie Brown, or Ray Allen? Hmm. I'm tempted to go Ray Allen just because he's a three-point shooter. So if you think about it, like his efficiency, he's one of the highest efficient, highestly efficient three-point shooters in NBA history. So I'm going to go with Ray Allen. Uh, who are the, like, Sean Kemp, who are the other two? Spencer Hughes, Freddie Brown, Ray Allen. Freddie Brown, though, that's another good one. I'm going to stick with Ray Allen. See, I don't know if it's Ray Allen because they're not, like, yeah, he's three-point, but that's so many threes. That's like Steph Curry level threes. It's true. I don't know, man. I, I guess I'll go with Sean Kemp. Freddie Brown. Ah, oh, damn it. All right. Okay, so no one got a point on that one. Let's go to the next one. Losers. <laughs> <laughs> Which Sonics coach racked up the most regular season wins? Bernie Bickerstaff, Nate McMillan, Lenny Wilkins, George Carl. George Carl. I will also... Uh, no. I'm going to go with... Uh, what What was the, the Bernie Bickerstaff? Bernie Bickerstaff, Nate McMillan, Lenny Wilkins, George Carl. No, actually. Oh, dude, fuck. I'm going to go with Nate McMillan. Uh, no, it's Lenny Wilkins. It is Lenny Wilkins. Uh, Lenny Wilkins, man. <laughs> All right. Should we go to the next one? Yes. <laughs> Damn, I was even thinking. I was like, dude, I should change it because I'm pretty sure it's Lenny because George Carl didn't coach here as long as Lenny. And That's Lenny true. was like right at the beginning of the NBA uh, That's why I was like, I was, kinda, I was thinking both because uh, Nate McMillan coached for like a decade. Okay, I'm going to give you one that hopefully someone gets. So I have one that I think no <laughs> one would get. down the questions. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's kind of random. Which team did the Sonics meet more times in the playoff, seven, than any other team? Was it the Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, Phoenix Suns, or the LA Lakers? Fuck, dude. See, if you had included, like, the Jazz, I would have said the Jazz, but... Houston, Lakers. What were the other two? The other two were the Portland Trailblazers and the Houston Rockets. Oh, wait, I thought the were the Suns on that Phoenix one? Suns. Yeah, I'm going to go LA with the Suns. Lakers. And I guess I'll go with Houston. Er, the Lakers. Really? Damn, I didn't really, really? want to think it was the Lakers because yeah. they weren't the craziest great in the 90s. No, Lakers like, didn't go to the 2000s. No, they were like late 80s, right in the beginning of the 90s when they lost to the Bulls. And then, damn. Okay, another question. You know what? Actually, that might make sense because the— the Sonics were so good, and the Lakers would have been so low one that they would have met. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Damn it. Guys, I'm not a Seattle sports fan, so <laughs> just that's my disclaimer here. That's why we're losing all this. Sonics is my weakest category. Okay, so let's try... If Bill was here, he'd be killing it. Shout out, Bill. He would have known all of them. <laughs> Here's one that hopefully we get right. Between 1970 and 2008, the Sonics faced... 
their arch rival, Portland Trailblazers, 192 times. Who owns bragging rights in the all-time series? This is one or the other. So <laughs> yeah. we need to say, I'll take the Sonics and you take Oregon since there you went go. to Oregon for yeah. college. There you go. Ben got hey, a boy. Yeah. Look at me. Woo. Okay. That was sad and pathetic all you at feel, the same time. You feel powerful when you have the phone because I would have been the same. <laughs> I would have probably gotten them wrong. But when you have the phone, you're like, ha, ha, ha. I'm sorry, Sonics fans. I, 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 I wish we would have done better, but maybe someday. It didn't happen. Nope. Round four. It's round four. I have the first pick of the fourth round. Last pick. <sighs> Damn it. And I'm like, do I keep it diverse or do I go? Mm. The category is athletes, so I'll stick to athletes. And I'm going to go with a U-dub beast, Woo-woo. Steve Etman. Now, he played for the Huskies from 88 to 92, and he was the reason why I told y'all hey, we need to change it from five years in Seattle to three Mm -hmm. so that we can put college athletes in there because he is arguably the best Husky as a Husky to play. It's not We're not talking about pro careers. Like what he did for the team back in the late 80s, early 90s, the Huskies won national championships. He was the number one pick. Like he was a fucking beast. Like it was him on the defense. He was a defensive lineman, right? So he's stopping the run. He's getting to the quarterback. Um he he was, man, he was dominant. He was the most dominant uh, defensive lineman the whole time he played in college. Um, yeah, I don't really know which more to say other than like he just killed people. He was huge, <laughs> like just a giant man rushing everyone. <laughs> Big at old him. boy. And like college athletes, you don't they don't get a ton of play. But I mean, if you look up top lists in Seattle history, he's always in the top because back then. When it came to football, people weren't talking about Alabama, right? It was all about the Huskies. I remember growing up in the early 90s, and everyone in eastern Washington's all about WSU. Um, and the constant thorn in their side was Washington Huskies. Like, you're talking about um, the record between WSU and— or, like, you're talking about records between mm-hmm. two rival teams, right? So between the Huskies and the Cougars, a large part of— the, like, a large reason why the Huskies own— like more wins is because of him. Like the Cougars didn't touch them in those four years, large part. So shout out Steve Etman, final pick. Nice. Probably, <laughs> I, I, I think he might, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the only UW player to ever go number one in the NFL draft. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cause I, I, I would think Warren Moon, but maybe not. No, yeah. Warren Moon wasn't first. There you go. Matt, nice. You're next. Nice. All right. Well, man, there's so much like left there. Uh yeah. This is tough. This is really tough. It's very tough. Cause it's like normally a fourth round pick, you can like maybe provide some insight into something maybe you didn't think about or something like that. But now it's like fourth round pick, you're we there's still much so much like out there. How do you narrow it down? All right. Well, with the last one, I'm going to go with another Seahawk here. I'm going to go with Richard Sherman. So Richard Sherman is going to be a Hall of Fame player. Like, hands down, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. He's going to go down in history as one of the best cornerbacks of all time. Dang, I can't believe you picked Richard Sherman over Earl Thomas, but keep going, sorry. 
Well, and the reason why I pick Sherm is because although Earl probably pound for pound was probably a better player, Sherm dominated not only the mental game, but also he was like the outward face of the Seahawks. He said what everybody in Seattle wanted to say, Mm -hmm. but didn't have the balls to say it. Yeah. He was without a doubt. He was our Deion Sanders. He was the guy who you love him. If he's on your team, you hate him. If you don't, that's Mm -hmm. the mark of a true legend. When you're like, you go to bat for your guy and your guy goes to bat for your team and your city. And he don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. He says, Get that sorry-ass Michael Crabtree out of here. You think he can come against me? You think he's going to score on me in that 2014 <laughs> NFC Championship that game? That was great. Uh-uh. He's like, get that sorry-ass receiver out of here. The tip, mm-hmm. the most... I, if you were to rank the most monumental, significant plays in Seahawks history, the tip is the most important. Beastquake is probably the most iconic, but the tip is the most important. Because that was our Super Bowl. We you saw how easily we kicked the Broncos' ass in Super Bowl forty eight. The NFC Championship that game that year was the Super Bowl. It was such a good game. Such a good game. I remember I was in college, like I got a noise complaint from the neighbors downstairs because I was making too much racket. Because that that game, it came down to that play, right? If and the, it's against your rival. It is exactly it was so good. There was so was much, so good, so was, much storylines. It was utterly iconic. When he jumps up, I have a, a, a signed photograph. It's like black and white. It's just his perspective. And he, you could just see the ball touching his fingertips as he like blocks that away. And then eventually Malcolm Smith collects the interception. But Richard Sherman, I know he kind of had a little bit of a rocky exit. And I hope he comes back. He might. I'd love to see it. He's one of my favorite Seahawks of all time because he did have that swag. Undoubtedly, the Seahawks in, the, in those years, Legion of Boom. Who do you remember off that Legion of Boom? Obviously all of them, but Sherman was the voice. Cam was the enforcer, and Earl was a transcendent talent. But Sherm was the voice. Sherm was going to be like, we're better than you, and I'm going to tell it to your face because we have that much confidence. And he is very much a rags-to-riches kind of player who earned it every step of the way because he was smarter than you, and he knew how to get inside your head. He played the mental game better than anybody else, probably since Deion Sanders, honestly. Darrell Revis was good, but he was a technician. Sherm didn't have the best talent, but man, did he know how to play the game. Yeah, he was hella smart. So, ultimately, I love you, Sherm. You're one of my favorite series of all time. I've had my Sherm jersey hung up for a little bit yes. while he's been on 49ers, but, you know, even if he goes to another team, I can dust that off again and not feel guilty. So, <laughs> I love you, Sherm. He's my so smart. Pick. People were, again, hella racist towards him after that crab tree in the comment, and Broncos fans, <laughs> finally. Well, and just the dumbass white supremacists lost that game. They were hella rooting for the Broncos. They are like... You Seahawks are thugs. It's coded right. language. And like, Get just the amount of like charisma and just guts he had. He was a converted wide. Re- he was a failed wide receiver at Stanford. They convert him to cornerback. He gets drafted in the fifth round, and then he becomes a Hall of Fame cornerback. That Super Bowl, the one that we don't like to talk about, <laughs> he played that entire game with one arm. Yeah, right. He literally could not move one arm, and he played that entire game. He should have had surgery before then, but. Guts it out. Yeah, a real ride or die kind of guy. And I think that's a good place to take him fourth round. Yeah. Nice. Student of the game. Richard Sherman. Dustin, (laughs) final pick. Rounding out the top 12 Seattle legends all time. No pressure. Yeah, hello pressure. I feel like there's so many people going to be left off this list. Honorable mentions for days. That I'm like stressed. (laughs) <laughs> like 
I feel like I've been way less chatty this one because I've just been like trying to flip through. I have like 15 tabs open. And I was like, I don't know who to pick. I feel like there's pressure too because we want to represent for our Seattle sport fans. So I'm also going to go basketball. But for me, sometimes I try and keep these a little personal. And for me, most of my basketball watching days have been with my dad watching UW's basketball team and thinking about Ben's pick with UW, like, okay, who was really dominant? Who propelled their program to, you know, national media? Who was just, like, focused, beating all their rivals? And I'm just really torn between two players, and I really can't decide. I have a personal favorite, and I have one that I think should also be taken. (sighs) Decisions. I'm going to go with Brandon Roy. Be Roy. All right, so going with Brandon Roy, his jersey's retired, so he really kept the Huskies in national attention in the 2000s. Top 50 recruit when he came out of high school. One of the Huskies' greatest versatile playmakers ever. He also stayed all four years. You're talking about Edgar Martinez in college basketball. So when I got into school, I was like, my dad, hella was he knew what he was doing. I got into Western and UW. My mom wanted me to go to Western. My dad wanted me to go to UW. He hella took me to a basketball game. They were only in the NIT championship that year, but they made it to the, I think, semis, and it was at home. Definitely brought me to that game. So I was going to think, I was thinking about going Isaiah Thomas, but definitely when you go there, you'll see Brandon Roy's jersey up there. Um, And uh, beyond that, he was Pac-10 Player of the Year, 20.2 points per game. Oh, yeah, now I realize where I was going with that story. Sorry, y'all listeners at home. Once again, don't drink on an empty stomach. So where I was going with that story is when I went to college, my dad got me. I was like, yes, okay, I'm going to go. I bought season tickets to basketball that year. They had two good players. They had, um, let's see, wasn't Terrence Ross and someone else. They both left, right, basketball one left after his freshman year, the other as a sophomore. I think it was Terrence Ross uh, to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, and the program kind of sunk after that. Like, I, they haven't really been able to recover. Lorenzo Romar was still at the time, time and I loved him from Isaiah Thomas's days. And, yeah, everything kind of went to shit. But Brandon Roy staying all four years, pretty big for college. So, whew, we love you. He really is like a Seattle sports, like, especially basketball legend. When you yeah. think about Seattle basketball, you think about him, Jamal Crawford, Isaiah Thomas, mm-hmm. and Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. And he was the first-round pick uh, from Portland in the draft, their first-round pick. Um, and he got rookie of the year in 2007, three all-star teams, tired because of a degenerative knee issue. I almost won the Isaiah Thomas, too. It's a little hard, too, because I was thinking about, like, what did they do when they were with the team, and then what do they do when they're leaving the team? Because... Obviously, this is a Seattle sports. It's the same person, and we love you all. Like, I still root for any Seattle person that went through UW and then went out to the league. But I guess I was just thinking Brandon Roy, legend. There's a, there's a story, or I think it was like an interview with Kobe, and he somebody asked him, like, who is the most, like, either talented or, like, difficult person to play against? He said Brandon Roy, which that's high praise. That's incredibly versatile. high praise. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't know. That, that was a hard draft. That was a hard draft. I'm just like, 
Well, it, it feel like it's incredibly rare for like college players to get their jerseys retired. Like mm-hmm. that's something you don't see. It's not like they're professional athletes yet. So mm-hmm. you have to leave a pretty big impact to get your jersey retired in college. Yes, definitely. definitely dude, and definitely. he's still a local dude because he coaches Garfield. at Nathan Hale. Oh, no, he's at, he's at Hale. I thought he was at Oh, he was at Garfield. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. I even thought about Ray Allen for a second. And that was also because of a personal. I, I felt like a little bias in this round. Fourth round, I like because you get to take a little creativity. Except there are three of us drafting. So now there's all this pressure on the fourth round. And I can't be as loosey-goosey with it. <laughs> so here's like... Okay, so I found the Kobe Bryant quote, but he said that Brandon Roy was one of the toughest players to guard in the Western That's Conference. That's what it was, yeah. And that he was truly special. That's yeah. incredibly high praise. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Freaking Kobe? Hell yeah. He's, and that's like mid two thousands, like Western Conference, when you've got guys like Steve Nash are still hooping, like everybody's still in the Western Conference at that time. So incredibly high praise. Man, Dirk is still there. Yeah, I really like my the athletes that I really gravitate towards. Are it's like okay, not only did you stay here for a, a long time in your career, but you have other connections within the area. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and he's still here. Yeah, like I, that's just working with kids. That's just so dope. Yeah. I like that pick. Good pick, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's the end of the draft because there's only three of us, which means it's time for us to uh, make the cases. <gasps> Drama. <gasps> well, actually, I have to go first. <laughs> yeah, so. you have to go first. First one. Here we go. So my team is pretty stacked, and it's diverse. I've got UW legend Steve Etman came in in 88. He helped lead their defense, their defensive resurgence in the early '90s. He helped him go ten and two into the Rose Bowl for the first time in nine seasons. He's considered one of the best overall players, and he's considered one of the best players in the Huskies' '91 undefeated national championship team. Stud, All American, two-time Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year. That's right, I'm talking college, y'all, because he was a college player four years at UW. Sixty-two tackles in that time. Uh, and he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Next up, Ichiro. Man, the cultural significance of Ichiro. He's a he was breaking down doors, bruh. <laughs> Area fifty one, fast as hell. Helped lead like he was a big part of that best hundred and sixteen team, hundred and sixteen win team. Mm, gotta love him, man. They love him in Japan. Then I got Gary Payton, the glove, the defensive pro. Right, went to the ninety six finals. Once he was on Jordan, Dustin pointed out, but once he was on Jordan, Jordan got cold. Those hands, they, they, weren't, <laughs> they weren't gloved up. And then finally, I got Sue Bird. She is the most decorated athlete in Seattle sports history. She's also the most prolific, and she's been, like, again, she's been here the whole time. She doesn't leave. That's it. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that whole, like, uh, the last dance when, like, Jordan's laughing at, like, what Gary Payton was saying is, like, but he's right, though. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. He's not pulling crap out of his ass. Like, he did kind of shut you down when he was on you. So that, That's a double Jordan meme because yeah. he's laughing, and that's the meme. But you know deep inside his head, he's like, and I took that personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Gary was right. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that meme. That is great. The best one was the 2020-2021 version. It was like. 10 weeks into 2021, we had that shit on the Capitol. We had hell, the COVID was still alive. And it was like 2020, or everyone was saying, oh, 2021 is going to be way, way better. 2020 is the worst year. 
2021, I took that personally. Yes, took exactly. That personally. <laughs> nice. Matt, you're up. All right. So to recap my team, I have Edgar Martinez, Marshawn Lynch, Sean Kemp, and Richard Sherman. Start off with Edgar, save baseball in Seattle. Hands down. He stayed the entire time, 1989-2004. He's in the Hall of Fame. He has an award named after him. He has a street in Seattle named after him. One of the most iconic players in Seattle Mariners history. A guy who is the epitome of earned literally everything. He did not have the best talent. He wasn't even the best player on his own team. But yeah, he came through in the clutch. When you needed a hit, when you needed that clutch moment, you could count Edgar Martinez. To put in a little context, Mariano Rivera is the most decorated closer in baseball history. When you ask the best closer in history who the hardest player he ever faced against, he doesn't choose the most talented. He chooses Edgar Martinez because he was a true magician. Uh, next up, Marshawn Lynch, a cult figure. You all know you love beast mode. He was the toughest dude. He would run through you. He started a literal earthquake in Seattle for a touchdown run. He's got all the quotes. He's got all the swag. He's everything you want to be, right? You wear a Marshawn Lynch jersey, people are like, that's dope. Respect. Next up, I got Sean Kemp, the Rain Man, one of the best athletes in Seattle sports history. Yeah, he may not have all the statistical accolades, but man, could he dunk. Gary Payton throw up that lob for him. He's coming down in your face. Posterizing was a thing back in the 90s. Sean Kemp posterized dudes. He's a professional posterizer. All right. <laughs> and then Richard Sherman to close out. He was our trash talker. And much more of that, but yeah. <laughs> Ran out of time. No more time, but that's Matt's team. Dustin, you ready? Yep. All right. You got to go back a little bit to the glory days of Seattle sports with that 95 highlight. Oh, wait, but there's a reason because we're talking about the legend. Ken Griffey Jr. for my first pick. Talk about a home run streak. Talk about the voting record getting into the Hall of Fame. Oh, man. Talking about cultural icons too, Matt. You talked about it in the NES, SNES, talking sport games. Every, every kid wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. Man, then he came back to Seattle for that streak. It was so much fun. Everyone just went nuts. I remember going to those games. He had like this home homer in the 12th inning. Fantastic. Then I got two Seattle legends. You got to think. Don't just think about recent Seattle sports. Think about the foundations of that sport franchise. You got Steve Largent, who set every important NFL receiving record in his retirement in 1989, dominating during that era, just dominating. The first Seattle Pro Bowler. That was putting us on the map. We were a brand-new franchise in, what, 73? We're not that old. We haven't had that many good teams. He didn't have that good of a supporting cast around him, not like some of our current dominant Seahawks teams. We got Walter Jones. Those stats blow my mind. It is wild. Talking about that few of sacks, over 5,500 passing attempts. Shit's crazy. That is fucking crazy. What a legend. And what a fantastic player. And then, of course, Brandon Roy. His number's hung up. Retired. Ba-boom. Ba-boom. Also Steve Largent. <laughs> well, he said, said Steve, Steve Largent. Oh, he did? Okay. I went yeah, a little right. out of order. He, he was like Walter Jones and Steve Largent, two like, foundational... Uh, Seattle sport franchise. I, know, I was thinking like... Damn, well, no, we're giving yeah. too much talk to that. <laughs> you you did your pitch. We're not pitching anymore. That what was, was that, Ben? You said something about <laughs> foundations? It's Ben oh, Pitch. I didn't say... I didn't huh? say we better wrap it up. <laughs> we better wrap that up. We got to wrap it up. Y'all, those are the teams. We need y'all to vote. We need you to vote for a winner. You can find us on all those social medias. That's t on Twitter at Draftmore. And also on Facebook at Mount Draftmore Podcast. It's a page. 
you like go. the page. Yeah, like the page. <laughs> Leave a comment. Instagram at Mount Draftmore. Instagram at Mount Draftmore. Check you're gonna Graham. You're gonna need to go to Graham mm-hmm. if you want to see or if you want to hear how we, both see and hear how we voted. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be other segments that go on there where we're giving our explanations. We're not going to do the explanations the way we have in Roundtable. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a testimonio type thing. Ooh, new format. New format. That's why like, we're getting through this. We're ending right now. We've made our cases. We want you to vote. Engage people. We're starting to think because we tell you who we vote for, you Might influence vote. you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nope. You're thinking, oh, they already crowned a winner. Nope, no more. You decide. Get that free money. <laughs> Hit us up on the social medias. And y'all, that's going to do it for us on this episode of uh, Mount Draftmore. Mm -hmm. Till next time. Yeah, yeah.